The way to think differently is to act differently and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals into actionable strategies you can use to think big, start small, and learn fast, and find your edge with excellence. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Christian Metzner, CIO for Volkswagen Financial Services in the UK. Now, I've been very excited to have Christian on the show. He's someone who really role models change within himself. He's constantly staying curious and getting outside his comfort zone. And you only have to spend time with him and his team to realize how much his actions inspire others. On this show, we dive into some of the culture hacks he's implemented to create the organizational culture he needs. From letting people be CIO for the day and having empty seats in every meeting room to someone to act as the customer, you'll be blown away by how far he pushes it, both himself and his team to improve. If you work in the tech industry, right, you can buy a lot of solutions with money, right? But what you can't change uh, or what you can't buy is behavior is language, right? People really humble, what is their intrinsic motivation and so on and so on. And I definitely learned over time in my career that we are not putting enough, say, importance and energy into people and uh, leadership, plus culture, which I think culture is, if someone is always asking me, Christian, how do you describe a successful IT environment in these days? I said, the first thing is that I move from projects to products, right? Second thing is, going back to your book, then think big, start small, or even tiny. And the third dimension is for me always culture, which is the main inhibitor of successful digital transformations, right? And that comes to how we work, how we measure, how do we engage, and what is the role a leader has to play in these days to make all this successful. So, That's fascinating for me to hear, even the way you phrase it, right? Like so much of technology, people think about what they're buying. They're buying products off the shelf. They're buying teams to build things for them. Yet I think what you're talking about here is some of the really the intangible parts, really in some respects, like the behavior, the mindset, how people are held each other accountable to that. I don't hear many leaders actually lead with that in many ways. That's not something that I often hear people talk about. So I think your background is also really interesting, right? Like you're working at Volkswagen, like one of the biggest companies in the world. You're transitioned, you moved your family from Germany to the UK. You need to take over a role. You didn't know anybody. And we all know like different countries have different cultures, different ways of working. Companies have micro cultures. They have global cultures. How did you sort of go about figuring out, first of all, you know, what the current culture was, how it needed to evolve, and then how your leadership style needed to change along the way. What were some of the techniques you used there? That's a very good question, Barry. So maybe a bit about my career. So it's actually the second time that I'm now for Volkswagen Financial Services abroad. I already worked between 2010 and 2013 in China, which was an absolutely incredible time. And I was quite immature when I went there. I think I was in a lucky position that no one really else wanted to go there. And I don't know why, but I raised hand and said, yeah, I'm very interested. Let's give it a go. So when we talk about 
getting out of your comfort zone, that was definitely a brave step. But now looking back after all the years, yeah, I'm so grateful for the time and the learnings over there. I'm still in contact with a lot of colleagues over there. I go there regularly and it's good to see how things are evolving and also help me a lot to reflect. Yeah, I also like to travel a lot and I'm an honest believer that every country, every culture is doing something much better than you do, right? And it's always taking the time and looking at yourself, especially from the outside, right? Looking at the company, looking at headquarters, also looking at Germany from China and now from the UK, that really has always helped me to recalibrate myself. So one of the first things that I have done here when I came to the UK was I sit down with all my direct liners and I simply started talking about my biggest weaknesses. I said, guys, two things will happen. <laughs> I'm definitely too quick, right? So I like to set the pace, right? Which I think isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you need to make sure that everyone is following, right? Because when you lose your colleagues, then the best idea will not come to life, right? So I said, whenever you have the feeling that I'm too quick, that I'm not explaining enough, please raise hands and please don't do it in a British polite way. Yeah, I'm German. I can live with that. So the guys now in the meeting, sometimes they start saying, Christian, I need to give you a German feedback. Okay, that's all right. Let's go with that. Yeah, shout out. And the second thing that I told them is, I have the tendency, if you see my career, I started in 2005 in the group, honestly, with a kind of screwdriver in hand, right? Installed servers, then applications, went to, did some local projects in market Germany, then abroad, and then I went to China. So I said, sometimes I can discuss with you on a parameter level, which if you think of the fact that I'm the CIO here in FSUK, it doesn't really make sense. So whenever you have the chance that I'm stepping too much on your toes, please raise hands as well. So the guys really appreciated that. They were also a bit confused. Why is he talking in his first meeting about his weaknesses? But for me, it was important that the people know who is sitting on the other side, right? And it was always my understanding and what I've learned. It's always the one who is in the stronger position or, yeah, or if you are the one in the position with the power, right? then you need to open up first, right? You can't expect others to change if you're not leading the way. And that was an attempt how I was trying to get things rolling here. Well, like knowing you, I think it is actually really one of the most interesting parts about you, I think. Anytime I've spent any time with VWFS and we're talking about experiments and steps that people want to try and get outside their comfort zone. You always seem to be the person who wants to go first. And you have this really interesting balance. I think you can sense it when you're going too far ahead that you're leaving the people behind where they're at. And you also have this great sort of, I almost describe it as you're impatiently patient with people in some respects. Like, I like that. Yeah, you're sort of, you're always like asking them to go maybe one little step beyond what's comfortable to them. Um, but you never go like two steps beyond that you leave them behind. And that's an art. So how do you find that space? Because I think it's difficult, as well as this being patient, because change takes time, but you're also impatient at the same time. I think it's quite something unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's a very fair comment. So I try to, 
I always try to work with analogies when I try to explain certain things. So I talked to the guys. What we interestingly, I asked them in the beginning, how much time do you have for strategic thinking, right? And they asked. Well, I said, well, most probably not enough. I said, good, but on our level. I mean, what is our job, right? Our job is not to tell our people how to do the work, right? We need to get out of their way, right? But we need to, we need to make clear why we are here, right? How we want to work, what, what kind of company do we want to be? And then I said, what I would really like to see is, let's try to understand what is your playing field, right? And we talk about innovation very often. What brings innovation? Innovation, you don't come to innovation if you only maybe go one mile faster every day, right? If you push boundaries, right? So try to go out of your playing field, not by 50%, because then you end up in jail, right? Try to find the 5 to 10%, yeah, where you can challenge old behaviors, where you can challenge people who might stuck in their thinking. That is important. That is what you need to find, where you need to develop a feeling for, especially in very corporate traditional organizations, you see very often the explanation, yeah, we have always done it that way, or that's not possible, or someone is saying, and I hate that. I said, no, come on, guys, that doesn't make any sense, right? If you use common sense in your brain, it's simply not logical. So try to push boundaries, and I try to encourage my people. I always said, don't ask for approval. You ask for forgiveness rather than approval. I prefer to have maybe two, three discussions in a year where you maybe have been too far, but at the same time, we innovated, we set pace, right? We iterated and we pushed boundaries rather than you ask on a daily basis, Christian, am I allowed to do this and this and this? We try to create it here or I try to create it a different environment. And one of the core elements I used was cultural hacks, right? Something I learned from a colleague I talked in Gardner to, she's called Mary she talks about the concept of cultural hacks, which is actually brilliant. It's something, because especially in our world, everything is big and needs to cost tens of millions and needs to take years because then it's really good. One of our classical behaviors and thinking patterns. So the cultural hack is about, it's very low effort. It's below two days, right? It is highly visible. And in best case, it has an emotional impact. So I now have a list of 80 cultural hacks, which I'm more than happy to share with you guys. Yeah, right. please um, dive into one. Cheers. This yeah, sounds really so interesting. Very easy things. I mean, we all hate emails. And as I have never heard someone who is saying, oh, I wish I would receive more emails every day, right? So what I have tested, and I started to count the number of emails that I'm writing. Again, pace and details. I had one day where I was writing, I don't know, 180 emails. <laughs> which is absolutely ridiculous. So then I set myself a goal here and said, okay, let's use one of the cultural hacks. So whenever someone dropped me an email, I sent out an autoresponder and we're saying, I only answer emails between 9.30 and 10 and 4.30 and 5. If you have anything in between, please ping me via Skype, call me or whatsoever, right? So... With this, I have tested that. And within, I think, um, two months, I decreased my emails by 65 70%, which was actually brilliant and a huge relief for me. What's really interesting to me, though, and I find this a lot, is especially as you go back to your point, the person with the power sort of going first or setting the tone or making the environment 
so when your team start to see you role model this behavior of trying to shut down or reduce the amount of time you're just sending emails around the office and replace it with other ways of communicating with your team, they're going to replicate that type of behavior. So I think there's a lot to be said of these sort of ripple effects that you can have, like these small changes. I love this idea, less than two days has a real emotional impact on people, highly visible. Anyone can make those types of changes and start to create these ripples. So what are some of the other ones you've tried or one of the ones maybe that you surprised you with some of the results you thought yeah. you thought wouldn't have an impact but had a huge impact? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the beauty of the concept of cultural hacks, right? Because you don't need to, like in big corporates, you need to come up with a business case or a feasibility study or whatever. Everybody can do it. And you normally, if you look at how people are normally, or what are typical recommendations, right? Try to find a smaller group where you can show positive outcomes and so on and so on. Once you explain the concept, you immediately get a huge ripple effect. So people were coming to me and saying, Christian, can we also play a game with you? Okay, good. Let me know which kind of game. So you need to know I'm a big Liverpool fan. And I said, Christian, we could motivate the rest by contributing to a survey, poll, whatever, when you would wear a Man United shirt at the end. I said, hang on a minute. I've said I'm a Liverpool fan, right? Yeah, but it would be kind of fun. So yeah, well, sometimes you have to do certain things as well to get people behind you, right? But yeah, as I said, there is a huge list of cultural hacks now. So other topics are what we tested when you are in a meeting room, in these days might be a bit challenging, right? Because of the current pandemic. We have also said there is one chair that needs to be left available and the virtual customer is sitting there, right? So whenever we have a discussion, when someone is jumping on that chair, he represents the customer. And we can only continue the meeting yeah, if he says, okay, I am happy now. I understand it from a customer perspective, steps, steps off again and goes back to his previous chair. So it's these little and easy things that can really help driving a different behavior. I think that's a fantastic hack. If more people actively thought about customers or let people role play that in meetings, I think people would have amazing results. But it also reminds me of one of my favorite stories of you as well is we often talk about we have external customers, but I, I often think as well inside companies, you have internal customers, especially when you're in an executive role like yourself, right? You have external customers and your internal customers, the team. You know, one of my favorite stories of you was when the team challenged you to say, well, it's easy to be a CEO. Anyone could be a CIO. And you responded by, saying, well, why don't we make someone else CIO for the day? Can you share that story? Because I think it's, yeah, it's absolutely. so unique. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That is definitely a great hack. So we have a colleague working in the IT area. She is called Priya and she is, there was a role that we created to talk about or focusing on comms and culture. And she actually came up with that idea. Christian, why don't we play day in the life of a CRO? CAO, and then people could go for it. And we actually, there was someone brave enough. It was a colleague who worked normally in the development area, quite young. And he said, okay, yeah, I want to I wanna be the CAO uh, for the day. And then, yeah, he was literally running the whole day with me. 
right? So he came in in the morning, came into my office, has thrown the name plate away, sticked his name on it, put the shoes on the table and said, yeah, I'm rocking the company now. So that was fantastic to see. And I honestly said, David, I'll take you with me the whole day, right? But you need to take the lead. I'm sitting next to you, right? I am listening and you really go for it. It's your day, right? So interestingly, um, we had then, I think my agenda was pretty packed that day. Interestingly, we also had an outage of one of our core systems. So David, that's the problem. You plan your day and then the real life hits you. So what do we do now? Do we go into the meeting or do we do this one? And it was absolutely brilliant to see him. He has really excelled it. At the end of the day, we made a great video, 12, 13 minutes. We watched it uh, the week after with the whole IT department in the auditorium. And yeah, we had all a good laugh. And he said, it's so, so fascinating to see the variety of topics. Yeah, from his perspective, he learned a lot. He was absolutely tired and exhausted in the evening. He was also asking if he gets at least paid for one day as a CIO, <laughs> which uh, we unfortunately couldn't make happen. But for me, it was also fantastic, right? I think in one of your sessions, remind me, the colleague you connected me to, the COO from HSBC. Yeah, Joe Narenya. Yeah, we've had him yeah, on the Joe, show right? as well. Yeah. I think when Joe was in your show and talked about that he is meeting apprentices, right? Yeah. And is trying to learn from them. I had a similar experience talking to David, asking what is important from your perspective and simply to hear the language that he is using, the question that he is asking. That reminds me, that reminded me of myself again and saying, okay, you really need to be careful with your communication, right? You need to make things simple for your colleagues, right? Because they have access to different information, they're not sitting in all the boards and so on and so on. So it has helped me a lot. Besides the fact that we had a lot of fun yeah, and that it, it was a great experience, helped me also, again, to understand the world of my colleagues, what is important for them, yeah, which was, again, a fantastic experience. And we are now trying to work out if we do that again or my colleague is already coming up, maybe playing a kind of show where... I might be the moderator and people are pitching uh, ideas. Yeah, we'll see. We'll definitely develop these cultural hacks further. I'm more than happy to share in the future other examples with you guys. They are great examples, you know, and I think what I really enjoy about them and thanks for sharing them is, but it does so show the humility you have, right? That you're constantly willing to put yourself outside your comfort zone, like letting a junior developer take your role for the day. And even when you have a huge business issue, like an outage to stick with it, to persist with the experiment, because all this great learning you get on the other side. And I think that's very brave. And many people would say bold and maybe even impossible in some of their organizations. Like the fact you even tried to get him paid as a CIO salary for a day, right? Like really pushing it, I think exemplifies how committed or how much conviction you have to this stuff. And I, I think that feeds the team. When you spend time in your group, in your office, like people talk about that. They have such belief that leadership are committed, like management are committed to driving change. And yet, like so many of the companies I work with, invariably one of the top challenges is, is our management really committed to this? Or are they really going to be 
show conviction when we hit a tough point. And there's always this fear of that, which if it exists, is one of the toughest barriers actually to get over. And yet you're sort of getting out in front and you're you're leading by example and you're putting yourself outside your comfort zone. And that that creates a pull, I see, to people go, wow, actually, they do want to see change. Look, look what Christian's doing. Look what the other leadership team are doing. What, what am I doing? I need to up my game. What hack am I going to run today? And, and yeah. that's what moves these companies. Just like you described with Joe and his, same, and his time at HSBC or Stephen Orban when he uh, was at Dow Jones, all these people who've been on the show and talked so much about how role modeling is so important for these behaviors and mindset that you talked about at the start. And how do you start to identify maybe some of these behaviors that you want to role model to create this ripple effect in a company? What do you look for to say, do you see certain behaviors lacking? And does that help you say, right, I need to step into that space? Or does it just come to you naturally? What are you thinking? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when I started here, right, I needed to understand what is important for the colleagues, right? How are they thinking? What is the local culture? What are the does and don'ts? And interestingly, I tried to build up a network here in the UK. So we went out to other companies in the UK who are known for being very much on the forefront. So for example, we visited the company Arm, right? Where they are doing, let's say, peer planning events, implementation of safe or kind of safe since already three years, right? And it was fantastic to see and learn from them, right? I'm constantly trying to find people who are much better than myself, right? Yeah, which also requires a bit of courage to actively say, okay, who is much better than you, right? From whom can you learn to acknowledge, okay, you're definitely, you are not the best. There are many, many colleagues that you can learn from. So I found three, four colleagues in the UK where I could learn from, right? I listened to my colleagues. I did, a, I did a survey, a poll. I asked them, what is important for you? Interestingly, I have asked my PA, and I'm pretty sure she wouldn't give me a good feedback on this. I asked, well, I have 200 colleagues in IT here locally. Can you please arrange a 30-minute coffee chat with all of them individually? So I tried to take time for all of them to have a meeting. And I was simply saying, well, I want to learn from you guys. What is important for you? How can I make your life better and easier? Because my simple understanding of leadership is at the end of the day is you guys are delivering value on a day-to-day basis, right? And it's my job to remove your blockers and to make you better on a day-to-day basis. So I always tried to act on this. And then I was incorporating all my learnings and looked at the behavior. What do I see here, right? I also talked to 20, 30 business key stakeholders. What do you expect from IT, right? And it was very obvious. We didn't play the same game, right? And my intention was to bring you all on the same playing field. We all need to feel the pain together because it's always easy if you run around like hell on the pitch, but someone is on the stand and is always saying, well, you could do that better and that better and that better, right? That really doesn't help. So I was trying to implement a culture and the behavior where we, as IT, opened up, right? Where we were talking non-technical language, actually human business language, right? Where we talk about outcomes over output. 
where we are trying to actively consult the rest of the company in what's the value of tech. I honestly believe, especially in the Financial Services Institute and going forward with all the acceleration that COVID is now causing, IT is next to the capital market, the single biggest threat to an, to an organization like ours. And we need to get our job and what we are responsible for absolutely right to enable our commercial colleagues to come up with great products and services for our real end customers, right? And making that shift to come out of our own bubble, yeah, to share the pain, but also to feel the pain from the rest of the company has definitely helped to make a step forward. So this is fantastic, right? Doing like over 200 employee interviews, 20 like stakeholder interviews, spending you know, hours and visiting other even sort of frenemies or competitors or, <laughs> and learning from one another. So it's really interesting to hear you're doing that. And I think sometimes when people hear that, they're like, wow, that's a huge amount of time that I have to spend doing all this research before I get started. But I think one of the other things is really interesting, I think that you, again, are very good at trading off, is how much to listen and take stuff in and then but actually start making decisions, right? And I think, you know, often sometimes people think is they have to get all this data and bring it all together and, you know, you get into these weeks of research and then, you know, people wondering, like, when are we going to start to change? And then we build a change plan and then we roll it out. But that's not what you do. I think what you have this very good sense for is taking a little bit of information and then making a decision and then getting more information and making it. So could you talk a little bit about how you manage that trade-off of making sure people feel heard, but that you're also bringing your decisions to bear? And those decisions might actually be against what some people told you in the research. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about how you manage that? Because I think that's another difficult tension that people in your role have to, they have to manage, right? And I think the way you do this is quite good. Yeah. There is certainly so many things you can say about the question, right? So I'm trying to be extremely transparent with my colleagues, right? In a way of I'm meeting my whole IT department, I said more than 200 people once a week, right? Once a week, I am on the spot. They can ask me everything they want and I'll share everything that is important for me, right? Sometimes they are easy things about company results, but yeah, I also share with them actively as we have actually a challenge now because of COVID. And this is what the company expects for us. We need to be better than ever before, which is difficult as I know how much you have worked in the past, but let's recalibrate now. So again, transparency, I think is absolutely important. Engagement is important. Be open, be there. As I told my colleagues, whenever you have something, yeah, call me, drop me an email. I might have a meeting or whatever, but if you say it's serious, I'll find time for you. That is my commitment at the end of the day. And you can always refer to that statement for me. And then the third thing I would probably say is about, let's iterate, right? I explained to my colleagues, we're not playing the game big fish against small fish anymore. We are playing big fish against fast fish. And that requires a different behavior because there are many, many new competitors, startups who don't have our legacy, right? And our challenges. 
and they take bits and pieces away on a daily basis from our value chain. We need to act in a completely different way. We need to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? We need to learn that we can't oversee all the information that might be necessary to make the best possible decision. Hence why I said, let's deliver something tangible on a bi-weekly basis, right? We talked about behavior early. Slice the things that you are doing so small that you can actually give it to your end customer, to your process partner within two weeks' time that you can get feedback because only then you can iterate. In two weeks, a company of our size here in the UK, yeah, we don't create unrecoverable risk or we, we waste millions of pounds or whatever. But if you are transparent, if you are engaging, if you iterate in very short cycles, you get actually colleagues behind you. And I think in our role, you also need to be a good storyteller, right? And again, it's not about yeah. sharing nonsense, right? But you need to explain what's the purpose. Why are we going in that direction? And you need to be open also to admit that you made mistakes or that your assumptions were wrong, yeah? And I have already withdrawn some of my decisions because colleagues said, well, Christian, what would happen if we look from that perspective? And I said, well, I, I have never thought about it. That's, that's actually a good idea. So let's go with that. What, so, what have been uh, one of the most, some of the most exciting breakthroughs for you then over the last few years while you've been leading this change and the company? What sort of surprised you the most? What surprised most? I think, again, if we talk about the colleagues, yeah, and we very often, we are very quick in our judgment, ah, that colleague is not good enough anymore, right? And interestingly, what we have done here in the UK is we have implemented a kind of process called strategic workforce planning, where we every day, every year, we look into the mirror yeah, and saying, is it what we are building up here in terms of roles, IT skills and capabilities? Is that really what we need? Rather than making these big bang reorganizations that every five years, which is a big distraction. Again, also here, we think big but we do it in a way that we do it every year, right? So we have actually created 16 new roles out of our existing headcount last year. And we will yeah. create 12 to 13 roles this year. And it was for me always refreshing to see once you explain colleagues why we are doing it, yeah? And if you show them a future, a career path, an honest option, because you don't want to manage someone out, but you give someone an honest option and you give someone the time to learn and explain how they can learn and how they work with feedback. I have seen so many fantastic results already here in the UK that makes me absolutely proud, right? Where people working in the same role for 10, 15 years and now we put them into a different role and it's fascinating how they are learning again how they are energized again, how they are driving the company forward. That then really makes me happy. And that is for me personally, when I, people are always asking me, Christian, what does success mean for you, right? Where do you get kind of dopamine hit? What is positive for you, right? I said, look at these colleagues here, right? They make it easy for me. And I am so grateful for the colleagues here in the UK because they are open, they are able to listening. Yeah, sometimes we have debates, which is absolutely necessary, absolutely okay. But once we all agreed, we all support each other and run in the same direction. Yeah, this is great to hear, you know, because I think, you know, so many people talk about, you know, we, we have a talent or a mindset problem here. And, 
they often pin it on the individual. And I think what's, again, you're recognizing here is that it's not less so the individual, but the systems and the structures that are in place that, to help them succeed. And most people have been so sort of beaten down and they have small tasks that they know how to do and feel good getting done. And when they hear we're going to change the way we work, we're going to restructure, we're going to change, people fear that the last sort of bit of knowledge or, or what they feel is their competency is being removed. They initially reject everything. And yet, when you're creating this sort of vision for the company you're trying to create, to creating the roles that you think that are required, the capabilities that need to be built to get there, and making that path visible to a lot of these people and showing them how you'll support them, how you'll give them coaching, support, training, give them the opportunity to choose, first of all, do they want to go on that journey? And if they do, all the things to support them to get there, I think is a a huge shift that I think if more companies started to recognize that they're designing the systems around people to make them successful, not blaming the individual for the system that they're stuck within, I think that's a, a massive transition if people can make and have a huge profound impact on their company. Yeah, absolutely. That is what I also try to explain. And again, when you bring transparency, transparency does not always mean you only share the nice and comfortable stories with them, right? Because there were a lot of complaints about the way we work, but I said, the system of work, the way we work, that's us because we are living in that bubble every day. We don't need to blame anyone else. Well, so for example, take a very traditional line managers. Too often, we have promoted the best technician out of the team and say, you know, go for the line manager or for the leader, right? Yeah. But if you look, how does it not, or where do you normally end up? A, a typical line manager today does a lot of escalation, but he's also doing admin stuff like improving holidays. And then at the same time, at least my understanding is he should act as a servant leader. You can't do three roles at once, right? So what I have done with my colleagues, and again, I'm very grateful that they open up and they were listening. So I talked to, I have five direct liners and the next level down, we have another 20 line managers or whatever. Before the pandemic, I was meeting them every six to seven weeks for two to three hours. And we were yeah. locking ourselves away from the day-to-day rush. And I said, guys, ask whatever you want. If you don't have questions, then let me share my view of leadership with you. And I did, would be good to get, maybe you need to ask them what they have thought about that session. But I asked them, show me your typical diary. How does your diary look like? And then we went through it and we saw, yeah, escalation meeting, this one and this one, this one. And, said, and when do you have time for your employees? When do you sit together in the morning? I came and asked us, hey, Rob, how are you doing? Hey, I have noticed that in the last days, I don't know, you maybe look a bit tired. Is everything all right? How can I help you, right? So where is that empathy? Where is that servant leadership time in your diary, right? Again, it was a bit provocative, but I said, from my perspective, 50% of your time, you need to invest into your employees. Again, my understanding of leadership, you need to remove blockers. But for that, you need to understand what they are doing. You need to become a coach. And then I think we need to be realistic, right? Not everyone is a good coach. Yeah? I'm an honest believer of companies need to invest into coaching capabilities internally. It's too often it has maybe kind of a negative touch or do we really need that? 
can we not buy that from the market or whatever? But I am an honest believer that companies really need to invest in that. And sometimes we talk about span of control and what's the optimal size and so on and so on. But if you look at, a, at an org chart in the old days, you have boxes and number of employees and that determines how much money you get. But we have shifted here to come away from silos to work into cross-functional, long-standing, enterprise-wide product teams where we are committed to devolved decision-making, right? We want to take or see as much decisions as possible sitting within the teams, yeah? And interestingly, our enterprise agile coach came up with a measure to say, your line manager are measured by the number of escalations you get from your team. So it's these, it's sometimes difficult to measure. Again, sounds all good, not always easy to implement, but you need to make a start somewhere and explain it. And I said, if you are a line manager, but you love technology, my goodness, we should let you do technology, right? And then we use the new ways of working and you become a kind of tribe lead or think whatever model you are implementing. I'm not precious about the model itself, but really let's bring people into a role where they can flourish, right? Where they are allowed to bring in their strengths and not, let's not restrict ourselves by traditional corporate thinking, oh, there is a box, so you are now responsible for this, right? It doesn't work anymore like this. Yeah, well, look, there's so much good stuff in what you just shared there. I'm just, I'd just like to pick out a few things. Like One of the things that really stood out to me, and, and we often talk, it's hard to measure change. It's hard to measure decision-making. And there is no, ever no perfect measure, but you have to start somewhere, I think. And this notion of when you start to signal like a measure, a leading indicator, in fact, of success is the number of escalations, right? Like that gets people thinking, right? It's, it mightn't be perfect, but it's a great start. And people start thinking about, well, escalations, then maybe we should start trying to solve this problem ourselves rather than the easy thing to do is just pass the problem up the chain, you know, yeah. and then you, you have 180 emails in your desk that are just like a list of problems to solve. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot about the intent about when you do share some of these sort of leading indicators for teams to think about, because it does drive some of the behavior. And I think when you, you start to implement this stuff, people start to become aware of like, why does that exist? We're not just going to punish people if they have three escalations. We want you to think about, do you have to escalate? Can you make this decision for yourself? We want you to make these decisions. And I think that's a really strong signal for people to see. And because so many people ask me questions about that, like how do we do, we need to be autonomous teams that are empowered. To, and it all sounds great. But then I asked them, you know, how are they measuring that? How are they communicating that to teams? And they, they've nothing, right? And so I think these sorts of examples that you're sort of sharing, I think are really helpful for people to recognize the intent that you're aiming for. And I think that's really powerful as well as recognizing like putting players in their best position rather than just promoting them because they're really competent at a certain skill. And then suddenly they have to be a manager. I think that's a classic recipe for, for disaster is because you put great people in roles they're not happy to play rather than thinking like, what's someone's strength and how do we accelerate that and give them leadership on a discipline 
rather than management of a team. And I think, again, these are all small, subtle transitions, I think, to people when they think about how they're designing their company can have a really profound effect. So I've, I've one last question for you then before, and obviously I'd love chatting to you all the time because I, <laughs> I really admire how much you really go for and live this stuff. But what are you most excited about looking ahead? Obviously, we've, we're sort of six months almost into the pandemic now, and your company has been through the shocks, the business continuity. You know, you've talked a lot about that it's big fish against fast fish and the company maybe has never relied more or the visibility or spotlight on IT or technology has never been greater. What are some of your sort of reflections or as you look ahead, what's sort of exciting you that you've learned through this period that gives you hope? You know, there's, there's more to come in some respects. Yeah, very good question, Barry. For us, we have structured, well, let's say in the beginning of the crisis, I have written a small framework called Leadership in Crisis, which was focusing on three main things. One was decisiveness, right? Because we don't see each other, so it's more important than ever to make decisions, right? And also accept the fact, again, we have less information that priorities for, or things that are priority today might not be priority tomorrow anymore, right? The second dimension was, it's all about simple communications explaining what you are doing. And the third dimension was looking after each other. So we took always these three criteria and put it into a framework that one of the analysts from Gardner shared with us. And what I like, they were structuring the crisis into three phases. One was all about responding, right? This is your typical BCM, ITSCM process. The first days you get things rolling. There we definitely learned a lot that we are now incorporating into sustainable services going forward. The second period was, how do you, let's say, respond now? I think we also overcome that phase. And now we are entering the last phase, which is how do you renew your company? So what are the learnings, right? And for us, we have declared three to four key learnings. One is about digitalization, which I think isn't really a surprise, right? The second dimension is working from home, or we call it actually working from anywhere. Yeah. Because again, in, in our traditional thinking or in, in our traditional patterns, we said, oh, no, no, we can only work together if everyone is in the room, especially contractors. Yeah. Because yeah. for us, we believe only when we see some, someone, someone is effective, someone is contributing, right? Which is, if you think about it, absolutely nonsense, right? And then, the third learning is what we call pace and flexibility, right? So how can we keep the pace? How can we keep the momentum and bring it onto a level where we, going forward, can actually, say, maintain that level, right? Maybe not that level because people have worked above and beyond and I couldn't be prouder of the whole company, because people really pulled together. They worked days and night to make things happening. And we still have a lot of challenges. If you talk to end customers, we definitely have not got everything right, but we learned a lot and we are absolutely committed to do the right thing. So I'm really looking forward. How are we now doing in terms of keeping that level, in terms of pace and flexibility behavior, to renew our company 
to come up with uh, the best possible customer experience that you can imagine. Right. Well, that's a really great way to frame up sort of the trials and tribulations that everybody has sort of gone through. And I love the aspect of thinking about being decisive, you know, making those decisions, but also thinking about uh, the people, the team. And I think mm. that's, a, that's a huge part that, that really shines through in your leadership. So thank you for sort of sharing a lot of these stories. And, you know, you continue to role model great stuff. You're, I, I know you're here, you're at home, as many of us are at the moment. You're, you know, your wife is traveling for work for the next five months. You're, you're minding your children <laughs> on your own. You're doing a CIO role. It's really inspiring to see. So thank you again for taking some time out of your busy schedule to share these stories. And I'm sure lots of people will want to reach out and hear more and share and collaborate with you as well. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Barry, for having me on the show. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.